You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast, a platform that we've created to bring the Nordic community together. My name is Paul Hackett, and I'm your host. On to another episode of the Evolution Exchange. Today we'll be discussing creating high-performance teams. So uh, let's start with a round of introductions. Carl, would you like to kick us off here? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so my name is Carl. Uh, I am the QA manager, or one of the QA managers, I should say, here at Paradox. So I'm the QA manager for Studio Green, which is the Stellaris brand as a whole. And uh, so that means my tasks are primarily around taking care of my team uh, and creating uh, pipelines that complement the general kind of operational needs of the project, uh, obviously focusing on quality assurance. Real. Uh, Agnieszka? Uh, hi, my name is Agnieszka, and uh, I'm working for Mindark uh, as the Agile Coach and Scrum Master. I've been working at Mindark for like 10 months now, I think, before that I joined the EA, Ghost, in Gothenburg. And uh, yeah, I'm in love with the, with the gaming industry. I fell in love with it. I'm not coming from the dev or from the tech world or from the gaming world, but I fell completely in love with the gaming industry, with the people, with the talent and with everything uh, that comes with. And uh, yeah, I'm very happy to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And last but not least, Jörn. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Jörn. I work at Ubisoft Massive in Malmo. I work as a lead producer for uh, Ubisoft Connect. Um, it's a lifelong dream for me to work in the gaming industry, and I'm realizing it, and I'm loving every moment of it. Fantastic. Brilliant. All right, so question number one. We'll start off with Agnesia. So how to create a high-performance culture related to the wider organization. Do you want to give some context around why that question is important to you? Yeah, so what I've noticed actually is that quite often when I worked with teams or like squads or feature teams that are a little bit smaller, uh, I quite often got an answer like when I'm asking, how do you think it's working for you guys? Then it was often that they said, oh, it's, it's working great. Like our team is awesome. We collaborate well. We meet each other on a daily basis. You know, we are uh, we communicate and uh, we know each other and we get, we get to see each other. But, you know, the other people or the other or this person or the other teams, they are not so collaborative. It's like it's always harder to to collaborate with with the other groups, maybe or. Uh, create like so I'm thinking about how to create a culture of collaboration and of like high performing high performance culture within the whole organization uh, I would like to pick your brains on that so Yen or Carl who would like to kick off on this one first there we are Yen. off to you so my first thought is reverse the question what holds people back from contributing um, and in my experience, what holds people back is, of course, uh, the consequences of failure. If uh, I do something wrong, I'll be punished. I, uh, I won't be appreciated. I won't be invited to the coffee or, or you know, whatever. Um, and I think that's one of the first things one has to work with with, with the culture is not only is it OK to fail, it's appreciated. Um, do try something. Um, if, if it works out, great. If it doesn't work out, what did we learn from that and, and celebrate that as well? So may, maybe that's one angle you, one could could take. 
Yeah, 100% agree uh, with your point there. Um, I would also probably like whenever you're having clashes within teams, generally speaking, I found that leaders within within those teams tend to agree that there is a bottleneck in terms of communication not happening. Usually, if you also have problems between leaders uh, being at each other's throat to some extent, uh, this won't apply so much. But something that you can do or something that I find found a lot of success with is um, is to give trust to another leader and another team. Trust is one of those really cool things that you can actually gift to someone else. Um, there's some really brilliant quote about it. I can't actually credit who said it now, but um, if I have a, a very close relationship with Jorn, for instance, uh, and I know that he, uh, I know that Agnieszka is going to go start working with him, I can tell Agnieszka, you should trust Jorn, and and your trust for Jorn will be, uh, you know, infinitely higher because of 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 I, I've given uh, this, this uh, I've vouched for him. And this is something that leaders can do between departments as well. So if you notice that teamwork or communication is lacking, is usually a very powerful tool to be, to take on that leadership mantle in that case and provide the, say like, no, but I trust this team to perform their duties, to invite your, uh, them to the coffee as Jörn put it uh, as well um, and give it in that way. So that's that's one way that I would try and start building that culture of, of uh, teamwork and so on. The, this point that Carl is bringing out, I think this one you can bring down on a very personal level uh, also. Uh, many years ago when I started working, I had a, there was a culture of always badmouthing your colleagues, always talking about them in a critical way. And I, I remember that it was so comfortable to sit with your friends and say, those guys, they don't can't do anything. And one day I, I had the fortune, so I happened to obs almost observe myself from outside and said, this is not really helping anyone. And I switched entirely to whenever I spoke about a colleague, I would instead of focusing on anything negative, I would focus on positive. This sim simple single change in attitude has opened so many doors for me personally and for the organizations I work in. So I, I can only encourage what Carl is saying here. Spread the trust, spread the love. Um, don't be afraid to trust people because the trust is contagious uh, and, and, you know, respect is contagious also. Um, so that's amazing what you guys are saying. I love the, the fact that you can give someone the trust. I never thought about that. And, and this is actually a thing that I felt like when I came to the organization as a scrum master, I felt like, okay, now I'm going to practice all the scrum master things, you know, I'm going to, and then suddenly I end up building trust. And that's the main thing I've been doing, I feel. And not only with me, towards me, but towards teams, towards the leadership, towards the different different uh, groups so uh, yeah I think also it's it's amazing that uh, that trust is the base of everything how how we can build uh, exactly what you said as well yarn that uh, that it's so important to build the culture of uh, not being scared to fail and that to like celebrate the fails uh, we often try to talk about that at our reviews, like not only to show, oh, I've drawn this character or this one, we have done this during the sprint, but it's like, I always encourage the people to say, okay, say what you have not done and why. Say what you have not succeeded in, you know, and then to talk about it, what can we learn from that? 
and that comes in retrospectives as well but i think it's also very important to to do it at reviews like sprint reviews or or whatever product reviews to talk about what we have not achieved and we thought maybe we would to, to kind of build on this as well a bit uh of what you're saying here is is uh it's it's always like you have a you've identified a problem very well in terms of like if that if we want to call that uh, teamwork or communication cross departmental or discipline or what have you um identifying that there's a there's a need to improve there um is is essentially half the battle uh once you once you've actually identified that problem um what's nice about this is that within the team that feels you know we're very productive and we're very strong but maybe the the others aren't you know um what's nice about this is that you already have an in-group mentality and this isn't necessarily an outright problem right because there is likely a high trust within that environment so the only thing you need to do now is start you know spending uh social capital on actually telling the team that like okay yeah yeah, yeah like we're very very good and hopefully you think i'm very good and we're a strong unit now you start spending social capital saying that they're like, yeah, yeah, but I'm using my um, my trust to to give to this other team and you trust me because I'm part of the in-group already. And that way you can bridge it real fast and real easy. Um, and uh, so long again, if you have if you have buy-in from that other team or that other team's leaders, that's where this goes very, very quick. Um, and you can you, you the problem is over before, uh, you know, uh, very, very soon, hopefully. What well, one one tactic uh, you can use? If I maybe I sound a little scheming here, but that's not my mean. <laughs> um, when you go in and talk to other teams or members or interests or, or or organizations and so on, it's it's easy, it's convenient to say I want this, uh, and you don't really care about the other side in in a way. But what you should be aiming for is, of course, to understand whoever you are talking to. What are their weak points? What are their concerns? Well, and, and so on. Not in a manipulative way, but actually being able to say, guys, you guys are, we, we see that there's, you know, quality problems coming out from your stuff. Our test team is really good. Could, maybe we could help you out. And by just identifying weaknesses uh, and helping with, with those, you're building a foundation for a relationship that becomes very, very strong. Uh, uh, the culture of trust that Carl is is on to also, so I, I don't know how I if it makes sense, but yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely, it's very it's very interesting. But I was also thinking, like, how to like, for example, for me, uh, it's always been a lot like people are talking about, like, oh yeah, we know each other within this team, or not even it doesn't even have to be. It can be cross teams because we go out for beers together, because we uh, go to the office more often, or because we do something you know more like social. Uh, events or whatever, like social, it doesn't have to be events even, but they socialize more, they go out for lunch when they're in the office, etc. Cetera, et cetera. But then you you also have people who don't go out for lunch. They're like, no, I will eat at my screen. Or no, I don't want to go out after work. Or do you, do you feel that, like, how do you see, how do you look at that? Like, you know, at people who don't want to invest their personality into the teams like do you have do you, what what mm. i mean you know what i mean like it's not it shouldn't be like we shouldn't make them because not everybody's comfortable absolutely it's not what i mean i just wonder how you 
I, I just think about that. Yeah, I get what you're. I think I get what you're saying. It's a very. I I, I struggle with this myself. I'm quite a. I'm, I view myself as quite a social person, and so whenever I interact with individuals who don't uh, fall into that same category as easily of you know networking and so on and so forth, this also has an impact, obviously, on team building. And um, and it's a tricky situation because, of course, you don't want to, you know, force everyone to have, you know, mandated corporate fun time. It can be challenging even for the for the most social of us. <laughs> and uh, yeah. and so it's it's uh, it's one of those things where it's it's always tricky to kind of highlight. Uh, what I try and do in these circumstances is I try and highlight these individuals in what they are uh, giving and what they are seemingly wanting to give. So if we have a quiet coworker who, you know, clocks in and clocks out at the hours that you would expect uh, and doesn't seem to interact too much, uh, you know, highlight the, the, um, highlight the kind of beauty in that as well of, of like, well, maybe this individual uh, values their uh, social uh, life outside of work very highly and so on and so forth. This can usually be, be used towards people who spend a bit too much time at work and say, hey, uh, you know, coworker so-and-so, um, maybe you should uh, talk to them a bit and um, ask them how they keep a, a healthy work-life balance if you struggle with being stressed every now and again and so on. And this can build interactions between your, your team members uh, on a day-by-day -day basis where they will go over and say, hey, you seem to be really good at leaving the office at five. I, I'm really bad at this. How can I uh, do this? It's it's tricky though, because as you say, you don't want to invade people uh, of being like, hey, we are all going out for beers now and apparently you don't drink, but I'm going to force you to come along. This is obviously not what anyone wants. Um, no, no. No, but it's great what you're saying. I actually had like a person who would uh, say to me that, uh, well, I, I don't want to socialize uh, tomorrow because I have a private thing on a Saturday and for me it's enough uh, per week, like once a week, because I get really worn out by uh, by socializing with other people. So that was so amazing that that person told me about that. And I thought like, wow, that, that's great. It's not that they do not appreciate the efforts because it was also like in one of the companies, it was me who was one of the organizers of the mm. fun activities. Mm. So it was really like, oh my God, everybody wants to be uh, team building, but then not everybody comes. So like just few people come, you know, so it was always like hurtful <laughs> to, to see, but it's like, of course I shouldn't have been taking it personally. But one, yeah. one reflection I, I, I get here, um, we're talking about high performance culture and we're talking about ourselves in a context of leaders of, of that. Um, and, and one requirement I put on myself is that I need to be able to be approachable by anyone. Uh, and I can't really put requirements on people that they have to be in this way or that way or so on. I mean, there's introverts that work in my team, there's extroverts and, and, and so on. Naturally, I talk more to the extroverts. Uh, it's unavoidable, but be mindful, uh, you know, take the time and, and, and go over and check up on the in, in introverts as, uh, as well, because that's one of the jobs of being a leader is also, we, we, you know, it, it's not up to us to to decide who we like and who we don't like. We we as leaders must objectively, how, how to say, love the team in, in, in a way. We we can never fail in that. 
But but I think I want to yeah I, I I agree with that as well. But I think one of those things where it's it's easy to start thinking that you're you're failing your introverts so to say, or you're failing your other team because your engagement with them is different. But it might be that you know your engagement is all already exactly what it should be, right? Because if I'm not super keen on being part of the social events and so on, and if I have and if you offer always a nice way out of out of it for me, because I don't want to participate, well, maybe that's fantastic. Maybe that's exactly what I need. Um, I, I might just need that opportunity to slink out real quiet um, and not have uh, anyone chase me and ask me to 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 partake and join. Um, and uh, this this can be very a very powerful and very safe environment. And if we're talking about a high performing culture that should also be allowing for a diverse culture of, of uh, a variety of like, uh, you know, how you engage socially with uh, with events, parties and so on and so forth. So, you know, allowing for your introvert to stay introvert because it's a very strange, you know, what would be the 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 um, the change? Like it would be a strange one to one or development talk where I go. Uh, you know, hey, Yarn, why don't you just change entirely how your personality works? <laughs> it's very complicated. It's, it's, it's not going to be very hard. So I think it's it's hard sometimes with, with uh, introverts like this because my assumption is that, um, you know, at partaking in these events is, is what I usually count as a win. But for these people, it might be the opposite. So you might already be on the exact right track here. Uh, uh, so yeah, great, great insights. Thank you. But I'm I'm curious because you started the question, and um, I'm actually really curious because it's it's me and Jorn have essentially uh, uh, answered the question uh, here uh, for you. But I, I I would be surprised if you don't have a few answers yourself, uh, given that you were the one who posted it. I would want yeah. to I want to <laughs> ask you how do you uh, how, what do you do right now? And what have you done in the past uh, to create high performance cultures? Uh, what, what would you want to like, give to us and in terms of your experiences? Yeah, so, so first of all, I think uh, what, what I'm interested in is also like to measure how do we know that it's a high performance culture, you know? So like uh, to set out some, uh, goals like what it means for our organization and then um, then cascade it to the smaller teams of course but like to know what is what is the the kpi <laughs> that we are uh, that we're measuring here and mm -hmm. then and, um, how do we know that right that we have achieved that and then i think like it's very important to have values and talk about them and uh, to make the values like so that everybody knows about the values and that people are are participating in making the values uh, and then talk about what it means because some things can mean very different things for different people like transparency can be such a big word you know it can be so different how people understand it and what they what they feel and then i think it's like uh, you also have to to once you have the values i think you also have to make sure that you re reinforce the behaviors and reward the behaviors of the people who who do to who perform that uh, behaviors that are wanted, right? And then, um, of course, I mean, leaders—it's the the first the first people who should behave as high performers uh, performers and uh, and uh, to to show values is 
leaders are the first, right? It always trickles down to the to the organization, so rule by example, etc. And then um, I think it's also important to to maybe not to maybe, but of course to to uh, involve and engage employees in like everybody in in decision making. Hmm. I want to pick up one thing you said there, um, which is which is something that I wish I kind of. Um, learned earlier um, uh, in my life, uh, particularly when it comes to kind of existing in an office environment, uh, which is talking about values. Um, this is something I actually really struggled with uh, for a long time because I, I felt, you know, like echoing kind of cultural pillars of, of what your uh, company exudes and so on and feel quite, uh, I felt a bit insincere uh, sometimes, not because I didn't believe in the cultural pillars, I did, but it just felt it, it felt a bit, you know, on the nose and a bit, uh, a bit, a bit corporate and so on. But I've, uh, I've noticed that air, like companies that have strong, uh, cultural performance, which is, which is what you wanted to, to bring up here and highlight are companies that talk about it a lot. Uh, culture is not something, it's, cultural is something you'll have regardless if you want it or not. Um, and those that are good at it are those that talk about it a lot. And sometimes, it's a bit, you know, sometimes it's a bit cringe, to be honest. Um, but if you don't, uh, you're going to just allow it to morph into whatever it may, may well create by itself. And that's not always something that um, something that is, is positive for yourself, for your coworkers. It can be quite, become quite toxic or dangerous uh, and, and unhealthy. So, yeah, talking about values is something I uh, very, very good to highlight, I think. So very good point, Agnieszka. Well, it sounds like we could be talking about this specific topic for a very long time. However, I'm going to have to move us on to the next question or we'll run out of time. But uh, Agnesia, are you happy with the uh, responses you've gotten so far? Very happy. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Uh, so we're going to move on to the second question now, which is Carl's. And that is, do you think you can create a high performance team in the same way that you maintain one? So to you, Carl, could you provide some context around why that question is important to you? Yes, uh, I have a tendency to ramble, though, so please cut me off. Um, so, uh, um, so fr from my perspective, right, um, when I when the question was per uh, first kind of posed, creating a high performance team, I don't view this as the same as as inheriting one, right? So I've been in the position where I've taken over a team at some point. And this team has already been high performing, I felt. They were all senior individuals in their crafts. They knew what they were doing. Um, and I came in and I said, hey, we're trans like, here's a transparent workflow. Here's what I'm doing. Here's my expectations of you. And everyone went ahead and did their job. And they were really high performing. But what did I do? Um, I didn't do much. I inherited a good, strong like a foundation to stand on. It made me look really, really smart. Um, but. <laughs> This is not the same as creating one from scratch, uh, is it? So I'm really curious what your thoughts is on creating a high performance team from perhaps a low performing team or an extraordinarily junior team. Uh, I wanna end this with a metaphor of, uh, of an athlete. So let's say we have a, a weightlifter who is a, an Olympic weightlifter. Uh, so they're very, very strong. They can throw 200 kilos above their head I would invite everyone to not follow what they are doing in their training or their performance 
on your first day when you hit the gym. It will, you'll have a very bad time of, of trying to copy exactly what they're doing. And I would uh, pose the question, is this the same in a work setting? Do you need to have a different system for a low performing or a junior team as you would a high performing team or a very senior one? Brilliant. Um, Jörn, I can ask you who would want to kick us off on this one. I could try. Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, scenario is that you are taking over a team. Uh, the team is 10 people, right? And uh, you're looking over the performance of the team. Um, six of the people are steady performers. Two of the pe people are stars. Uh, they're, they're, they're really, you know, moving mountains and so on. And two of the people are, um, how to say, have development opportunities. Uh, they're not really performing to, to, to specs. The one mistake every leader does, including myself, who have done this uh, several times, is you come in as a new leader and you think, what if I take the two low performing guys? I'm going to give them all my attention, all my love, all my, my care, and I'm going to make these guys into uh, stars or at least regular performers. And you start, you start showing all the passion, all the love you have uh, that took you to, to a leader position and, and so on. And the whole thing quickly uh, goes completely the south, if I say like that. Um, while you're working with the, the guys, the, what, what I call a little provocatively the low performers, but it could be many reasons. They could uh, you know, be health conditions, there could be um, I'm working as a C++ programmer, but I'm actually trained as a flash engineer or, or, or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you're working with them. At the same time, the stars that are pulling so much weight are wondering what happened to the manager? And obviously, whatever we are doing, um, it's not the right thing to do. So one of them uh, hears of the team uh, next door and suddenly uh, puts in a request for a transfer. And the other one says, there's no point in working hard in this team and uh, slides down to kind of a regular uh, person. And you're standing there as a leader looking at this thinking, what the heck happened? I, I I went in with so much passion, so much care, so much, you know, good intentions and, and, and so on. And what I've learned uh, here, and it can, might sound a li little ruthless, is your approach as you go into a new team must be completely opposite. Identify the stars immediately and start, you know, publicly showing support and love for them. And if you if that's all you do, at least you have a chance that one of the middle uh, performers uh, will start moving up towards the star and potentially, uh, and this might sound incredibly cynical, but uh, the low performers were, might say, this is obviously not the place for me and, and potentially move on. So a little harsh may, maybe, but my advice on, on uh, taking over a team would be focus on, on the stars and make sure that excellency is, is what, what is being you know, uh, recognized as a leader. Interesting. Do you want to jump in as well? Yeah, yeah, gladly. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting what you have said. Uh, I'm thinking uh, as well, like, you don't know, I mean, 
I always try to, to uh, also divide it into like, okay, he can be a star, but he can be a, I'm sorry, can I swear here? Big head, you know, <laughs> or a she can be a, you know, it doesn't have to be a he, but you know, you can be, you can be very good at your, at your job, but you don't have to be a team player. We don't know why the, those bad performers or whatever we call them are performing. Like you said as well, we don't know what they're going through. We don't know what they're going through like personally or what the, if they're not uh, taken care of really by uh, placed in the wrong position or whatever. But uh, I think also it's good to like what you, like the difference is what I think I've never been to, uh, to a situation where I could like employ a new, create a team. But what we know, like science says, like, first of all, the team should be diverse, right? So you have, you have to have, like you should have diversity, different diversity things. It doesn't have to be gender only. It can be age. It can be, you know, um, I know experiences. It can be whatever, what background, what, where they come from. And that generally gives the uh, good potential for the people to solve better problems and solve problems in a better way and, uh, and perform on a good level. And uh, then I also learned something because I was actually responsible for uh, like one of my goals uh, when I was working one of the companies was to to have happy and healthy team, and uh, you know I was I spent so much time reading like how do you create a happy team how do you have a healthy team you know and then suddenly I read something that just opened up my mind like if you want to have happy happy people at work employ happy people and it's like it is really a little bit like employ people who are positive who have good energy you know and it doesn't have to be constant energy giving like extroverts it's not about that it's about being you know like happy and content a bit with what they have it can be passionate it can be less passionate but generally like you know people rub off each other right the behaviors rub off each other so if you if you want to have uh, uh there are people who really like drain other people's uh, energy by being negative for example so uh so you can try of course it might be hard but if you get the uh, you, you can usually go on your gut gut feeling as well quite often, I think, uh, when you're employing the people. And then also, obviously as a leader, you should come into the team and, and spread sort of like happiness and positivity and forward thinking and, and energy. And I'm not talking about like being, you know, oh, we have so many problems, but let's forget about it. We're happy. You know, it's not about that. It's not about this happiness. It's let's be honest with each other, but it's about being a little bit more like positive. And then, I think also it's important for us as leaders to to show vulnerability and own up to our own mistakes, uh, like what you were saying, I think, as well about that. And it's like, uh, then this way you can show people that it's okay to fail, it's okay to, so that they become more open to talk about why maybe the, the purposes, the, why the, the reason is for their uh, behaving uh, or not performing in, a, in the way that you would expect them to. Um, and then, uh, for example, I think as well as like, if you have, if you really have like, for example, we had one of the, one of the goals was happy and healthy team. But then if you really, if you say that to the, to the people that it's important that you, you value the happy and healthy team. And if you release a game, uh, with a happy and healthy team and without crunching, and then, uh, then at the end, you cannot just look at the Metacritic, for example. And, and say to the team that, oh yeah, that was uh, that's not the measure of success, right? The measure of success for the team, as well, is to to say that okay, but we did it with this different KPIs, right? What we talked about a bit earlier. So what I mean is like, 
And how do you measure as well? It's interesting, like how do you know that the team is not high performing? Hmm. I think uh, I want to, um, I want to answer you both. So I'm, I'm going to try to speed run my, my answer here a bit. Um, but the, uh, I would say for, for Agnieszka, I, I really agree with, I think it's a super, I, I, talking about, you know, uh, acquiring talent and benchmarking, um, you know, personality as much as you would benchmark performance and, and not necessarily exclusively looking at, at, you know, high performers as in like a skill-based way of, okay, I know how to uh, perform this hard skill very, very well. But as you said, maybe uh, I am a total dickhead. Um, this is of course, uh, you know, and, and, and looking at it from a way of, yeah, benchmarking, you know, desired personality traits and culture fit is extraordinarily important. And it's something that is absolutely doable as well, uh, regardless of, you know, um, so long as you are are consistent in what you are benchmarking, you could benchmark against pretty much anything. So you say happiness, uh, cool. If so long as we have an internal consistency surrounding what happiness or a happy employee or happy individual is, uh, that's fine. Um, the terminology and our shared understanding of that personality trait is what we benchmark against. And so therefore we hire people like like that. And we all of a sudden we have an evidence-based uh, uh, structure of what we want to hire for. So I think this is brilliant uh, and, and definitely something uh, that, that should be a cornerstone in, in your uh, recruitment strategies. Um, Jorn, I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge you a bit uh, on your answer uh, because I thought your, your answer was, uh, as you said, very provocative. Um, I agree, by the way, uh, with the scenario you drew up, I, I agree that, you know, sometimes uh, making tough decisions that benefit the team as a whole and kind of, uh, you know, making some hard choices of, of uh, understanding more utilitarianly where to focus on is, is probably uh, what you need to do as a leader. I agree with that, even though it is uh, provocative, for sure. But what I was after in my question uh, was if you have, if you're, if the vast majority of the team are uh, somewhere between mid performers to low performers. And again, we don't need to make any value judgments insofar as to why they are low performers. This could be because of their juniority, uh, or it could be, as you say, for other uh, completely reasonable uh, reasons. But, but the, the, the overall thing is what kind of structures or pillars in terms of how you engage with your team how does that change from a low-performing team or a mid-performing team to a high-performing team? Or does it change at all? Are you more transparent with one team? Are you, uh, is, your, is your leadership different? Do you coach in a different way? Um, how, how, do you, um, how do you engage with the team as a leader if it's uh, a mid to low-performing versus a high-performing? But to answer that question, we have to define what what characteristics are are defining a high performance team, and thus what characteristics are not uh, in a, in a high performing team. And to me, what is there in a high performing team? There, are basically, two things are are there. One is a large level of trust in the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. The second part is clarity of purpose. So. Um, if you have a, that, that trust, if you know that um, 
I have this code that needs to go in. It needs to go in on Friday and I'm not alone. My teammates are around me. We're all working on making this happen and, and, and so on. Automatically, you're higher in, in productivity uh, there. And how do you get uh, there? Well, usually through time and through the second point, clarity of purpose. So many times I end up in discussions with people uh, that it, it's it's so opaque to them what we actually need to do to 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 win. What is the win in front of us? And you start asking them, well, well you know, what are we do we need to do? And yeah, probably this and this. So why are you not doing that? Well, I have to ask those guys if it's okay, and then I have to check there, and I'm uncertain. Should we should we use this library or this library, and 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 so on? And you end up in this mountain of fear, uncertainty, and doubt that kind of the people in the teams have. And I think as a leader, if you want to go make a team high performant, you should encourage trust between them. But most of all, just be super transparent what a win looks like. How does win look like? And then don't fuss about processes or how they get there or whatever. Just tell them you guys are smart. Make 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 that happen. But we need to reach this goal. We need to be there by by, by Friday. If, if you can be transparent and clear there, your low performing team will will surprise you. And the constantly high performing teams, they are the guys that are used to this. They, they, they will not you know, back down when when bogged down with processes and middle management asking you need to get, get permissions to to do this or whatever. They, they won't accept it. They will run on anyway, yeah, you know, or have a way to dodge it. Does that make sense? I think you uh, have successfully managed to. So when asking this question, by the way, um, I felt very clever because uh, I thought it was a good question. And I was like, ah, here, here we go. Right. And I wrote up on my little notepad that I have here that no one in the podcast can see what I would define in, in, in here. Right. So but you've managed to destroy six of my bullet points with barely a sentence of clarity of purpose. Which I was going to elaborate on and be so smart and clever with, but but no, I think that's a that is a beautiful way to put what I was going to put much much uglier. So thank you, Jorgen. <laughs> yeah. Can, can I ask? I can <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I want to add on a little bit as well to that. Destroy a bit more. No. <laughs> <laughs> bring some destruction. Uh, no, but I was thinking as well, like when I was thinking about this, uh, actually reading as well. Um, I, uh, you know, there, there's, there's are, there, there are those, uh, um, uh, what you call it, uh, phases that teams go through, right? You have this forming, storming, norming, and performing, right? So it's like, I actually didn't think about that so much before I, I thought about it. <laughs> uh, struck me that sometimes, you know, you don't you don't think about it, but sometimes those teams who are not performing that well, maybe they are stuck in the, uh, you know, forming stage and or maybe the storming stage, you know. And actually, I heard it somewhere someone said, like, you know, if the, for, if the team has not gone through forming in the right way, they will not start storming. And that means that they will not start performing, you know, in the end. So this is also a very interesting thing, like how the leaders can help, like understand first, is that uh, that case that maybe this team is still 
forming, you know, and we have to help them. And this is exactly what you said, Jörn, that when, for example, when they are stuck in the in the forming uh, stage, you just you need to give them a clear purpose, you know, you know, you need to talk about the mission and the, whatever vision for the product, for the for the team, and then like you know the clear structure, and then this is the process, you know, just we you have to work on agreements maybe like how do we work together so that we can build trust uh, so there's like different you know things maybe a kickoff or something you know and then if they're stuck in storming maybe you have to like uh, bring their attention to like okay let's not let's let's not quarrel with everybody well, let's go back to the this is the purpose guys you know or this is the this is the the, the i don't know the per, the process or you know like it, it is it is natural to have storming and you want some storming as well you don't want people who are like mm, i don't care you know like you want people to to have small conflicts right and that shows passion as well i think uh so yeah so i was actually thinking about that as well that about those different phases that i actually didn't even think about that before we i was supposed to be on the podcast but so it's, i learned some things today no likewise really? likewise for sure for sure and i think it's a good it's an interesting I'm going to look up after this conversation those the phases you discussed there as well. I think I can off the cuff have a, a rough understanding of what they should mean, but I, I'm going to look into that deeper. So thank you for that. Uh, and, uh, I can give you a nice article as well. Yeah, um, please, please do. Please do. Um, awesome. Thank you both for that. Um, I think we've summarily uh, uh, answered that question, I feel actually. Brilliant. So I can actually move us on to Yearn's question. So that's how to avoid being an authoritative leader. So Yearn, do you want to give some context around that with regards to high performance teams? Sure, sure, sure. So I think it cuts back immediately to the other questions that, that, that are there. You um, you come in as a new leader into something. You know you got, you're brimming with enthusiasm, with 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 you know pure let's make this happen you start assembling a team around you and so on and in the beginning you know it's possible to be the expert on every topic it's possible to to actually be an authority um, that development should head in that direction the priorities are that the the marketing approach should be that you know because it's not that big yet and as it grows and as the investment grows, suddenly this authoritative, I'm the boss and I know everything best, it becomes constricting and you end up being subpar uh, supporting. So actually in my, my, my own work, what I'm truly trying to do is step away from this authoritative position and say my role is simply to be a coach and a moderator, not a... Uh, the, the management team will point out a direction and that goes pretty well the one thing i never delegate or or accept that anyone else takes is when the team messes up uh, that always fall, falls on me if there's apologies or whatever needs to do done and that also falls back to what we talked about before on agneska's point uh, it's okay to fail uh, if the team tries and anybody gets angry, it's on me, it's not on them in, in a way. So what I'm looking for here is experiences or, or or reflections on how to avoid being this authoritative leader, how to enable collaboration, how to 
you know, strengthen a, a team in their authority as the, not disappearing as their leader, but continuing in, in a different aspect. Cool. Uh, well, as the as the resident Zoomer of the group, the very young person here, I will <laughs> up gladly about not knowing a lot and having a team that knows a whole lot more than I do. Uh, so this is a challenge I faced a lot, actually. Um, a lot of times I found I find that leaders talk about two things a lot, which is transparency and vulnerability. These are very good things to talk about, but you have to kind of live and embrace them in, in a very meaningful way. By um, So whenever you are uh, presenting something or you're supposed to present something, what I like to do uh, in order to not look very, very dumb when I'm presenting something to, to stakeholders or something is to invite my group, my team to uh, you know tear, the, tear what I'm trying to do apart uh, in a work in progress stage. So this is at its most vulnerable stage where all my thoughts are, are you know, free and open for everyone to look at. So again, transparency and it's very vulnerable because it's, it's at a very, uh, you know, it's, it's my thoughts on a notepad essentially. Now, what you need to do in, in addition to this or what I've felt that I need to do in addition to this is to not only invite people to see that process, but to reward criticism against me. Um, this is something that is very, very challenging at times because if you're presenting your baby brainchild to your team and they are tearing it apart, uh, <laughs> it can be, uh, can be hard. Um, but you need to reward people voicing not only questions as to what you're doing, but reward most of all assumptions that, that people have about what you are trying to do. And this way, uh, it becomes uh, you become, start becoming extraordinarily approachable because it's fine to to challenge me. It's fine to to say I think what you're doing here is probably a bit misguided or it's it's maybe straight up stupid. Um, and rewarding people that uh, that choose to speak up openly in front of everyone, saying thank you, I needed to hear that, or thank you, hmm, I've not thought about that instead of doing it you know, off the side or having the inner circle part of the team that gets to see things before the other to do. This is where you, where, where you or where I've had, I should say, success in uh, removing myself as, a, as an authority uh, or an authoritative person. Very much sure. Very <laughs> great to hear. <laughs> no, but seriously. I was thinking actually when, when I heard the question, for me it was, um, like I tend to see, because I'm thinking like this, that now I met you, I haven't met you before that podcast, but I feel like we, the, the three of us as well, and probably many other leaders are like, we, we became leaders because of some reason, right? Probably, probably not all of us, but some, some of us probably have like, I know it's easier for us to take decisions or like quicker. Maybe we have a little bit, we're, we're more courageous, maybe, maybe we have like less, uh, I'm talking about myself, like less patience, you know, than others and like, oh, okay, let's just go, you know, and people tend to follow maybe. And that's why we're sort of like probably natural leaders. Uh, and we probably have been that since we were kids. Uh, at least a lot of people that I meet in leading positions that they tend to have this sort of personality. So for example, for me, it's like, I've always been, I've had a strong personality. And also when I came to Sweden, you know, I'm Polish and I, we, we speak in a different way. So for me, it was a big challenge that I really often, people take me as an authoritative 
authoritative person because I have strong personality. And then I said, like, you do this, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't really, but you know what I mean? Like the Polish accent and the Polish language, how, how it influences how I speak Swedish or English. So it's like, I have to be very careful with that. And I've learned that at work. Like my children think that I'm extremely like, you know, authoritative. Uh, so it's very it's very important to realize it as like you did, Jan, you said that I try to be, I try to stop that, you know, behavior. So it's the first point is like to, the first step is to realize that, okay, am I behaving like this? And then how do I act upon this? And uh, I think it's good. Like what I do is like always, I talk about that to people. I said when I come into a new team, like, okay, you, you might think that uh, I'm this and that, but because I know some people tend to think that I'm this and that, you know, and I, I, I'm trying to be quite open and build a relationship directly, like, you know, putting myself like cats on the back and, and showing my belly a bit, like, you you can decide what you think. I just tell you that, and then you being vulnerable this way, you know, like, or actually sometimes I can say, uh, like, you know, when somebody says, oh, how are you? I was like, oh, it's shit. I had a really bad fight with my kids, you know, like, not always saying, yeah, it's great. Like being that is also building vulnerability that you were talking about, Carl. That you know, showing people that you're a person and you can have a bad day or you can have whatever, like you know, you can be angry, like you know, I can say, Oh, I'm really angry right now, you know, because I got you know angry at this and that. Uh so um and I also think that sorry, just to say, like I think I find it it's so much more easy, like so much easier to say to people what to do quickly instead of waiting for people to grow and empower people like it's so much easier to to give instructions and like hey, i think you should do this you know when they come to ask you for a thing and then you are this authoritative person right instead of saying like what what you think you know and leading people and mentoring them like you said young so and also this was a little bit like you know becoming a scrum master this is like we are servant leaders that's the first thing you are a servant leader you know and there are like some pitfalls of scrum masters that uh, you're not a police, you're, you're a mentor, right? You're, you're a teacher. You're like, you have some different like uh, roles that you, like hats that you put on as a, as a scrum master. Like you're a facilitator, you're a coach, you know, you're a mentor. You're not like the uh, secretary or, or a police or I don't know, other like uh, scribe or <laughs> you know. So uh, this is also like, it's within the role to be, to be a servant leader. I think it's also like when you read about uh, the, the science, it's usually the kindness and the, and the servant behavior to other people brings most effect, right? Long-term effect on people. I yeah. killed it, yeah. <laughs> no, no, you made me deeply think um, about, uh, you know, about the foundations of leadership uh, in, in a way. And and I, I don't know if it's the same for everyone, but my leadership stems from a deep love for, for, for software, um, the industry and the people in it, in a way. I'm, I'm, I'm truly fascinated by it and I, I'm delighted to be a part of it. And... Um, I think in the, the beginning of it, uh, when you have uh, are starting an activity, you can't help being authoritative. You need to, you know, get something moving. But it's obvious that that is not the most productive way. You need more minds. You can't have, 
you can't be limited by one brain. If, even if I might, in a spirit of, of you know, um, uh, really loving myself, say, oh, I'm really smart. I'm not smarter than 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 what three, four people are. Um, and and that must be the real trick in leadership, in a way, to enable all those brains to to start solving the problems. And and I think it's a, a good point that you guys are bringing up on this. I think it's 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 um, you've kind of mentioned this as well, kind of like or we all have really uh, in this uh, conversation where, you know, if we start out with the beautiful phrase clarity of purpose, which I may or may not be spamming in the office every now and again from from today, uh, the, uh, uh, you know, starting off with uh, kind of like a very clear uh, goal and mission in mind. And then understanding when you as a manager uh, and as a leader uh, are no longer, you're no longer providing the, the, um, the goal, but you are actually bottlenecking everyone from presenting their ideas to you so you can then build on it, but instead to actually let the floodgates open and start having this very collaborative atmosphere. The trick here is of course to know, well, when should I be removing myself from stopping the team going into this servant minded of where it's less coaching even perhaps and more supporting the team, um, which is which is really the trick, I guess, in, uh, in uh, not being, be, you know, having authority, but not being authoritative, uh, I suppose. Yeah, I think as well, like, uh, it's like we, we don't really want teams to have the heroes. We want the teams to be collaborative and work as a as a as like a group uh, as a team, right? To solve problems. We, I mean, heroes are good sometimes, but it's not really good for long term. And so we should also try to uh, not become, not feel like we need to be heroes and save everyone and and try to come to the rescue in every situation in the team. And very often, I think it's also like. I hate sometimes when I go and tell some like you know I just talk to someone like my manager or someone like oh this is bad and this is bad and then he goes and starts to give me maybe some advice I go I don't want any advice I just want to be listened to you know like very often not even my manager anyone I don't want advices I just want to talk to people to hear myself say the things that I want to find solutions to very often like you know the low performers or be it I don't know whatever that people might have a problem as a team or as as a uh, as a person, they, they often, I think, just want to be listened to. This is, I, I think this is, you're touching on something that I, I, I struggle with this a lot, not just professionally, but you can ask my fiance as well if you want to, um, <laughs> where, <laughs> where I feel like I'm very, I'm a very solutions oriented person. Uh, so if you come to me and say, hey, I'm sad, uh, you know, I'll, I'll start writing pros and cons and I'll create a Kanban board for you. Uh, but um, th this is, rarely what people want um and so this is again kind of tying this into to kind of uh coaching or solving people's problems but then also kind of it's it's easy at least for me to forget that sometimes you just want to support your people and this is one of those things where i think it's easy to come into uh, you know, becoming a, an authority or an authoritative person, even if you only coach and if you only solve, but you never support. Because if you're never that person that can just be someone's vent and someone's kind of like ear to, uh, an ear to listen to or a shoulder to cry on as a manager and as a leader, you'll start becoming quite cold eventually. 
But Carl, this is kind of a paradox, right? As I said before, you you enter the the leadership arena with a passion, with a love of making things happen in a way. And as you're progressing through it, you realize it's the passion that's holding you back mm. in, in a way. Do you understand how, how I mean? The, yeah, the yeah. That makes you not a, uh, li the good listener, the good coach, because you so want the when, energy when, to. And when that happens, you're you're up for a promotion and a new team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> 